0: If you have your Bibles, we're still in Matthew's gospel, and we're still in Matthew chapter one, and uh, for those of you that are just going, oh, I sure hope we've got more genealogy today, the answer is yes, we do. <laughs> last week, I did the first, and <clears throat> by the way, I'm not sick, I was just, uh, watched a big fight last night, and my uh, vocal cords are a little strained, so, uh, but I'm, people are, oh, I'm, I don't want to get sick. No, I'm, I'm actually fine. My voice is just a little worse for wear. Um, But we are in Matthew chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the first six verses, uh, the genealogy of Jesus, and the focus that we saw last week was um, Matthew's desire for whoever reads it, the original audience, for whoever reads it, through the centuries, for whoever reads it, you and I, that when we walk away and we think about who Jesus of Nazareth is. Ryan made this statement. He said, do you believe that the Christ is the Messiah? What he meant was, we all knew what he meant, right? What he meant to say literally was Jesus, the one born Yeshua in, in, the, in the Hebrew, is, is that one Yeshua of Nazareth, is he actually the Christ or the Messiah? And, and by the way, if that's true, what, Dave, what Matthew wants you to see is that Yeshua or Jesus actually is a descendant of David. We learned that last week. David the king, that God promised th- to David that one would come who would be part of his lineage, part of his, uh, part of his ancestry, and he would come, and what Matthew wants you to see is that Jesus is related, not just to Abraham, everyone who's Jewish is related to Abraham. It may not be the king, but Jesus, Yeshua, is actually a descendant of David. And now that's going to continue on today as we look through this next, uh, the, the, the rest of the genealogy we're going to be getting, uh, kind of finishing off verse 6, we're going to be going all the way down through verse 14, or verse 17, and what we are going to be seeing today as the genealogy continues is this, that kind of in the broader sweep of what Matthew is teaching is that Matthew wants you to see, I know it'll sound redundant, but he really wants you to see that Jesus is a descendant of David. He really doesn't wanna let that go. And so some things that some of you I might find very interesting, others of you might go, ah, I'd rather you kinda stick with the big picture items, right? Some people are detail people, some people are more big picture people. For those of you that are detail people, I think you might find this fascinating. When Matthew tells the story of Jesus' ancestors, he divides up the lineage in three groups of 14 generations. Now, for those of us within the Western world, we love accuracy. That, that's kind of what we want to go with. Just be specific, be exact, don't miss anything. Matt, Matthew's got bigger fish to fry, actually. And he really wants you to catch what or who Jesus is. And so as he relates the genealogy or the lineage to us, what he actually does is he picks a list of Jesus' descendants, or Jesus' ancestors, I should say, Jesus' ancestors, and he arranges them in groups of 14. These aren't exhaustive lists. To drive home the point of son of David, he actually chooses and makes lists of 14. 14 generations from Adam, or from Abraham to David, Fourteen generations from David to Babylon, or to the exile, and then fourteen generations after the exile, after the deportation, to the time when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, why fourteen? And and is it okay to do this? To to kind of representatively take people from the genealogy? Why fourteen? Why? I don't, I don't like the word manipulating it, but why crafting it? Why specifically drawing our attention to that number 14? And, and here's something that uh, you need to know, that in the first century, one thing that, that, that the Jewish people, that even the Christians in that time, what they loved to do was they would recognize the symbolic nature of names and places. And the name David okay and in the hebrew uh, they didn't count cons- or they didn't count vowels so they only counted the consonants has three letters in it d or dalet in hebrew and then the v or the vav and then there is another d or a dalet and if you if you go back and you take it this is the kind of thing was called gematria or gematria and they would actually take those letters and they would assign a number to each of them dalet 4 vav 6 dalet 4 Add them up, what do you get? 14. So this was their way of, Matthew's way of really underlining, really driving home who Jesus is and God's plan, underlining Jesus is in fact the son of David. And that's a big deal. Every one of us wants to look back in our lineage and realize I'm related to someone famous. Does your family have a pretend person that they all pretend that you're related to? You really have no proof, but you just, you want to somehow go back. Most of us, it's Jesse James, right? Everyone, you, you, you can't talk to five people without finding someone who says they're related to like Jesse James or someone like that. It's, it's interesting because those are the people that matter. And yet what we're going to see as we look at just these last two groups of 14 is that there really is a, a list of, of prominent characters of kings, kings. And then a list of, uh, I mean, I'm sure they had value and I'm sure they had importance. They may have had even kind of a regional uh, authority to exert power over others, but they're not kings. Let's take a look at this first list, beginning in verse 6. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at the last half of verse 6, the paragraph begins like this. And David, in capitals, because like he was a good king. There are kings... Um, just kind of regular. There are are bad kings that are really dangerous to to be in, in power and to have authority. Then there are really good kings. It's always a blessing to have a good king, especially when you live in a nation and you're at the mercy of who's in power. Oh, I sure hope that the king's son is as good as he is. So David, who was a good king, was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and her name was Bathsheba. We know that. It's the fourth woman actually mentioned in the genealogy here. So David was the father of Solomon, and Solomon, who, okay, I put him in capital letters because he was really a good king. I know there's some complexity to him. I know there is some failure in his life, but overall, he really did do a lot of great things. A number of books of the Bible were written by him, and... Solomon, a good king, was the father of Rehoboam, not a good king. Rehoboam, who really was a bad king, was the father of Abijah, and Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph, you might know if you're looking back in the Old Testament, is actually the king also known as Asa. A-S-A, Asa. And Asa was actually a rather good king. And Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, who was also a good king. Because you know why? Because good parents make Good children. We all know that to be a fact, right? Bad parents make bad children. Good parents make good children. That's how it works. We all know that. So, Asaph is the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the father of Joram. He's actually a bad person. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Wait, Uzziah, he is actually a great king. Okay, this is getting complicated. Uzziah actually is the king that's mentioned in Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, it begins like this. It's it's the encounter where Isaiah the prophet sees God seated on a throne, and it begins like this In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. And you want to know why that matters? Uzziah was the king, the king sits on thrones. Uzziah is dead, there's no king in Jerusalem. Ooh, I sure hope his son, I'm gonna have to cross my fingers on this one, knock on wood, do whatever I gotta do. I sure hope his son is good. I love the reminder of this, especially in election years. I love this reminder. Like I I get some of the anxiety that we might have, some of the concerns that we might have. Who will rule over us? You know what Isaiah 6 says? Isaiah 6 actually says, don't ever forget That God is on the throne. And I understand your concern about the new king that is coming up, the new leader that will lead us. Totally understand uh, why you, you might be concerned about that, but never forget who is ultimately on the throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, a good king, he was the father of Jehoram, not a good king, Jotham, Jotham was the father of Ahaz, not a good king, a really bad king. Ahaz, a bad king, was the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah capital's great king. Wow, this isn't as predictable as you thought, is it? Listen, I'm not trying to make those of you that um, question your parenting by looking at your children. Or maybe for those of you that really are looking out kind of into the future and realizing, wow, I'm a great person, my children are great people, nothing could change. What a genealogy can do when you stop and look at it is realize how, how critically important it is for us to realize that it is God and, and each generation has an opportunity to respond to who God is and what God is about, or to reject who God is and to reject what God is about. And, and it can change just like that, can't it? Solomon's one that made this point. I've seen this happen, Solomon says. I've seen great people amass great wealth and do a great job, and I've seen it spoiled by their children. And vice versa. Maybe you're living in the wake of generations of bad living. Poor parenting and poor decisions. And now all of a sudden you're feeling like, what could change this? It's interesting that you have this now great king, Hezekiah, coming from this terrible king, and now he has a son. Are you ready for this? Worst king ever. King Manasseh. By the way, he also reigns the longest. He is most most recognized by the fact that he sacrificed many of his children in the fire to pagan gods. And Manasseh, this is the, by the way, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Hezekiah is the father of Manasseh and Manasseh is the father of Amos and Amos is the father of Josiah and Josiah was a rock star. Like Josiah was amazing. No, this is what the Bible likes to say about Josiah, that no one, no one, not even David, no one turned their heart to the Lord like King Josiah did. See, David was known as someone who had a heart for the Lord, and then it says, and there was no one who genuinely turned their heart towards the Lord like him. Josiah was a great king, but he was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation of Babylon. This is this amazing list of kings. But everyone's family doesn't just have kings, you also have a list of regulars. Uh, A list of people who, like after the um, exile and after the deportation and then the return, I mean, like I said, they're they're sure, there were people of prominence, but it wasn't like prominence. And so the list continues. Matthew wants you to see and to understand that, that God uses a number of people in a number of ways. God is sovereign to his promise. God is in control and faithful to his promise to Abraham and to his father, or and to his son, um, metaphorically, David. And so the list continues. I wish I knew more about these regulars so that I could kind of put them in bold or not, but for the most part, there's really not much said about them. And after the deportation, verse 12, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shatiel, and Shaltiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihuid. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. By the way, here's some great names for you that are looking for children. <laughs> well, not looking for children, looking for names for children. <laughs> Azar was the father of Zadok, and Zadok was the father of Achim, and Achim was the father of Eliad, and Eliad was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar was the father of Nathan. And Nathan was, that's not a a bad way of spelling Matthew, by the way, it's actually Nathan. Nathan was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, and that's not the old Jacob and Joseph, way back. No, that's the new Jacob and Joseph. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus, his name, Yeshua, not his title, Christ, but notice this, of whom Jesus, the man, was born, who is called Messiah or Christ. And so you have this, this, this honest, this factual telling of who Jesus Christ is. Matthew is not trying to manipulate the facts. He, he wants you to know the truth about who Jesus Christ really is, and he doesn't want you to miss it. How would you miss Jesus? Like how, with all that God does, with all that God is doing, how could you miss it? It's one of, my, one of my favorite thoughts, actually. I am absolutely fascinated at why people hear the same message and some say, I believe. And others go, huh, that's interesting. And then others go, I don't get it. Your thought about, like, why you believe? Like, why believe in Jesus? And not just that he lived. I mean, that's pretty much been a decided fact of history. But that Jesus, who was called the Christ, as Ryan said to Hannah, like, do you believe that he is the Christ? And what did you say? You do? <laughs> She's serious about this. I'm glad you are. Yes, he is. Like, he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Now, I'm not just here to say, you know, it's interesting who God uses and that God uses just about anybody. We can actually see from that list um, that that God does use about anybody. But I just want to go back for a moment and realize, but like, who really is anybody? Who is anybody? Are you fascinated by famous people? Kind of drawn to them? I can be, if I can just be brutally honest. Growing up, absolutely in love with the great one. I know you have no idea who he is. He was a hockey player. His name is Wayne Gretzky. My dad would go crazy every time I would refer to him as the great one. My dad would get into this this biblical speech about there's only one great one and it was Jesus. And I'm like, dad, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the other great one. (laughs) Like the really, really great, great one. Wayne Gretzky, that's the one. And I had an opportunity um, when I just started work um, uh, at a high school, starting college, to meet him. It, was, it wasn't one of those moments where we got to hang out. It was one of those, you know, one of those moments, right? I don't know if he even remembers it. I do. But he's not right now at home saying, hey, guess what, I remember meeting Jim Johnson. Nope. I remember it, though, and I remember telling my dad that I met the great one. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, bypassed the speech that my dad gave me. And my dad, I, what I loved about him is that just literally, like, nobody impresses him. Nobody. I could tell my dad I met Michael Jordan. My dad would go, and he knows who he is. My dad would go, yeah, well, who's, in he, who's he when he's at home? That's a statement. Who is he when he's at home? Mike. When he was little, his parents didn't say, Great Michael Jordan, come down and eat breakfast and grace us with your presence. They didn't, did they? I I bet you when Wayne was nine years old, uh, they weren't all calling him the great one at home, were they? He was just Wayne. Kind of a dorky name, but just Wayne. Apologies to all the Waynes. He was just Wayne. (laughs) He's just Wayne. That's all he really is, right? We get enthralled by this, and now I want you to just think about this. Like, does God? We have kings and regulars. Does God? Well, let's look at one of them, David. Okay, so David is anointed king, and look at what he did. David is anointed king by God, and and he, he kills Goliath and he becomes a great warrior, and he creates areas of peace, and he brings prosperity. He defends God's name and his honor. He is truly a great man, is he not? You know, the most important thing that I said was the very first phrase, and God anointed David as king. When you go back and you read the story about how David became king, it's, the Samuel, the prophet, shows up and isn't even impressed by him. Actually, as he is trying to figure out who God chose, he's looking for people of what, like physical stature and strength, and he overlooks David. Who's he? He's a shepherd. He's nobody. He wasn't born King David. He was just born David. Right? David. He's my brother, David. And God says... I know his heart is for me and I am going to anoint him to be the king of Israel. And what makes David great is not who he is, but who God makes him into. Just think about that for a moment. You and I can just become so easily impressed, can't we? With who? With kings. To God... (laughs) It's good to remember this. God transforms regulars into kings, does he not? This is the story of God. Abraham, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Moses, hey, shepherd boy, come here. You are going to be the one that is going to lead my people out. Hey, Gideon, I know you think you're a nobody, but I'm going to use you now and you are going to provide victory for my people over the Midianites. Hey, Jeremiah, I know that you think of yourself as no one, but you'll become my mouthpiece and I will put my spirit in you and you will speak and we're going, the great Jeremiah. And God goes, yeah, I just call him Jeremiah. Right? We get that backwards, don't we? We like power and we like prominence. And that is why we have such a hard time with Christmas. That's why we can have such a hard time with Christmas. <sighs> if I can be honest, I've confessed this before. I am a recovering christmas alcoholic. My name is Jim. Thank you for welcoming me. I feel like I'm with other um, recovering Christmas aholics. And by Christmas aholic, what I actually mean is somebody who, who absolutely, when they were at some point in their life, usually when we were young, absolutely fell in love with that day and with that time of year and all that it represented, and then never really recovered. That we have now spent the rest of our life trying, at least during this time of the year. We're great in May. But around this time of the year, we begin to look back and um, kind of miss, we, we become very nostalgic, we, we go through even phases of our lives. I, I remember when my wife and I started having children, and I thought, okay, we can get it back. We can get it back. I'm going to do what parents do so great, which is to live vicariously through their children. And so I was going to do that. I am going to relive my childhood and all of that. what that meant to me, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to recreate. How many of you spent like energy, emotional, even spiritual energy, trying to recreate, maybe even trying to fix what was always lacking after Christmas just became December 25th? Remember when that happened? When It was no longer Christmas, but it just became December 25th. Man, I just, I wish I could get that back. Merry Christmas. Man, that's a complicated time of year. And I think what we experience in that is exactly what everyone experiences when they deal with spiritual encounters. Christmas is that moment when God interjects himself into human history. And now you and I have to try to figure out what that actually means. And so you and I bring to that powerful moment, God becoming human and dwelling in, in, in the form of a man in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that moment. And, and you and I do what we do so well is we begin to, if we're not careful, we begin to project onto Jesus everything that we, everything that we want. There there was a book written a number of years ago by a Canadian, so that's when you know you're in trouble at the very beginning. A Canadian, and the book is, um, it's it's about life after God. And and he deals with those of my generation known as Gen Xers or Busters, born somewhere between 1962 to about 1986. And a generation that now, and especially in Canada, literally, I mean, we, we had already kind of given up on God. We, we didn't have the faith that our parents had. And, and in this book by Douglas Copeland, he just, he just describes what life is like when you really don't have a God component. It's a fascinating read. And then there's a part of it that is just fascinating and troubling. And, and in this section, he, he begins to describe at a time when he was driving in the southern states and he was doing something that you really can't do in Canada, and that is listen to Christian radio. You just don't have that where I come from. And so he's listening and he's trying to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's trying to understand what it means to celebrate Christmas. He's trying to understand what it means in terms of what God did when he became man. And he's listening to Christian people talk about it and preach about it and sing about it. And his response was this. I I could tell that these people were missing something. And I could tell that they were beginning to find all that they were missing in Jesus. I thought that was interesting. He goes on to say, you know, it was really fascinating because for those people that kind of grew up with a rough family, Jesus became that father figure they always needed. For those people that didn't have the mom that was there to care for them and to nurture them, they found that in Jesus, what they always needed. And for others, Jesus was a great career choice or that final gift, gift of prosperity. Jesus became everything that they were lacking, everything that they were missing. And then the most damning words of the chapter kind of concludes it by going. So even though I don't understand what they were doing, I guess they found what they were looking for, and that's kind of nice. Merry Christmas. Like, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Kind of finding what your deepest needs really are. Right? It, it doesn't really matter about the 14 generations. It really doesn't matter about Jesus being a descendant of Abraham and most significantly David. It really doesn't matter that he's called the Messiah as long as we find in him what's missing the most in us. Right? Wrong. Like, this really isn't what Christmas is all about at all. I get what what people are talking about when we begin to project or transfer, when we begin to somehow see something that is missing in us and try to throw that onto Jesus and try to satisfy it. But what you see in the gospel, particularly in Matthew's gospel, is he relates who this king is, is he gives us the truth about who he is, and he's not saying, find in Jesus what you always wanted, but find in Jesus what God has given And Jesus has come, he has interjected or injected himself into human history not to give you what you think maybe you want or what might possibly be lacking, but in perfect, in absolute perfect knowledge of what you need, Jesus provides himself. That's Merry Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. And that's why it's good for us to stop and to realize with these reeds and next week we'll put trees on the stage and we'll, we'll gather together in one service at 10 o'clock and we're gonna have an opportunity to celebrate and to, to stop and only sing Christmas carols. I mean, it's gonna be wonderful and we're gonna do all of these things and it's fine to, to, to kind of want and to desire to look back and be nostalgic, but if we only pursue And and worse yet, if we are somehow even satisfied with a lesser version of who Jesus Christ really is than if we ever really celebrated Christmas at all. And this is what I love. What we see in the Gospel of Matthew is this truth, that the true king and the true kingdom that he has come to establish look different than expected. Like I know you want everyone to be a king and you want everyone to have all of this, but no, sometimes they have names like Zadok. And 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 they're complicated because sometimes you have um, in your ancestral tree Manasseh's and Uzziah's. And when Jesus Christ comes, he comes in reality. He comes of this woman named Mary who is a virgin. And then Joseph, who's just uh, most likely, literally in the Greek, it's someone who works with their hands. We say carpenter, most likely he's a stonemason. Just a regular guy working down at the quarry. That's Joseph's family. That's Jesus's family. And in that moment, what we actually see is the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. And can we say Merry Christmas in that? Like Jesus doesn't come to us in those terms because it's cute, but because that's what it is. There's that reality of who Jesus Christ is. And the real question that we have to ask ourselves is do we still find our greatest joy in him? That's why I like to go back and and, and I just want to read to you these these verses in Matthew's gospel that you might just skip over because they don't seem like much. But looking back at the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, I'm like, oh, I see that. Matthew chapter three, verse three describes the one who's gonna come and is going to prepare the way for him. Now John, that would be John the Baptist, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food he ate was locusts and wild honey. Unbelievably, extraordinarily ordinary. Preached a sermon on that, right, Ryan? This is John the Baptist. I know that you might look at him and go, that is just so weird. Sure. But it, 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 it's not probably what they expected. Like that's not how we saw the, the one who would come and prepare the way he just seems so ordinary. Matthew chapter four, verses 18 through 22. And while walking, this is Jesus, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is also called Peter and Andrew. Now you might wanna call him Saint Peter and Saint Andrew, but mom just called them Pete and Andy. You know what I mean? Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Like you're fishermen. That's all you are. By the way, that's all you even need to be. You don't even need to feel bad for being fishermen. You don't need to feel like somehow you made a wrong career move because you're fishermen. But I'm coming here to do just what I did to King David when I call him out of being a shepherd and I turn him into a king. I'm calling you away from these nets and I'm asking you to become Someone who speaks the truth about who I am. And everything fundamentally changes because God injects himself into their lives. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he met two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. Oh, that's fun. And he called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Yeah, four fishermen. We are going to change the world. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It's interesting how much Matthew doesn't even seem to care about, like, the story behind the disciples. Sure, he'll give you kind of a little bit, but this is the only other piece of information we have. As Jesus passed on from there, he called a man, uh, he called, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus is amassing for himself people who are devoted to him, and therefore he is taking regulars. By the way, another word for regulars are humans. He's taking all of us, and he is making us into something else because of who he is. Merry Christmas. See that? God is taking just normal people, and he's making them something different than they are, not for our sake, but for his, because we connect with him that's what Christmas is all about. That is why, if it's always a feeling or an experience that you want that's not real, that's not in Him, it will always be elusive. Do you want to know what Christmas is all about? Christmas celebrates the coming of the King and the establishment of His kingdom. I was really wanting socks. What, what, what were you wanting for Christmas? Christmas celebrates the coming of the King and the establishment of His kingdom. That's what the angels sang about to the shepherds. Well, what were you wanting for Christmas? And see what it means to be a follower of Jesus, Yeshua, who was called the Messiah. It's to recognize like the truth about Him. It's far deeper and far greater than any want we can think that we have and that we project upon him, that the fullness of him and the reality of him is greater still. And you really understand Christmas when you really understand and you delve deep and you look long and you worship hard at the feet of the real savior, the real Jesus who is called the Messiah. And so my challenge to us is that as we reflect on all that God has done for us, that we would find our greatest joy in the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has to offer. We'll talk more about this next week. What Jesus Christ really came to do which is to literally establish himself as king and to establish his kingdom, even though you and I could look at him and at the world and the establishment of the kingdom and go, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see Jesus as a reigning king right now. I don't see his kingdom being established around the world. Well, you're not the first one to miss him. The people at the very beginning had a real hard time. It was, it was shepherds who saw it. It was, a, it was a mom who was overwhelmed by the truth. It, it was occasionally people could see it, but most people, most people just said Merry Christmas and totally missed the point. I just pray that that's not you this Christmas because the truth about this king and his kingdom is far greater than any experience you could try to create. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the reality of Jesus. I get why psychologists and, um, and, and, and popular teachers want to, uh, to deal with issues like transference and projection. I don't even think they're wrong. I think many of us do that. I pray that as we grow up, we realize just how big and true Jesus is help us see it. Father, this is where we need you. I thank you for what Matthew has shared, but but God, it's even bigger than that. And so I thank you. When I say for Christmas, what I really mean is for Jesus, the King. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.